Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. We have Andrea Adelson coming in to talk about spring football around the ACC, your favorite school. What are some of the biggest questions they have? How's spring football going for them? So we bring in the legendary mm-hmm. Andrea Adelson to talk to us. How are you doing today, Andrea? Oh, wow. I feel like I have a lot to live up to. Legendary, huh? <laughs> Appreciate that. No doubt about it. You're 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 everywhere and anywhere at once. That's right. I, I, I saw last week during the ACC network coverage, and I I got excited. I get excited for spring football, so I saw him. I said, "Let me turn it up and see uh, what she's talking about." I, I was listening to her talk about Florida State and all that good stuff, starting to get some of my information going. You there know. You go. All right, and just so spring football, we got spring games coming up. NC State's is this weekend, so we we can start there, and. Uh, what are some of the things that, that you've heard thus far? We know Brennan Armstrong is the new man under center there. Have you been hearing anything about how he's looking and how uh, that new offense, quote-unquote, is looking? Yeah, obviously that's what everybody wants to know, right? Um, and this is a stacked quarterback room. There's no question about that. But when you bring in Brennan Armstrong, considering his history with Robert and I, it just gets a lot of people talking and very excited about the possibilities. And we had uh, Trent Penix on uh, in play earlier this week. I actually, uh, my colleague Adam Rittenberg filled in uh, for me, but I watched the interview. And one of the things that really stood out to me that Trent said was that they're basically playing a lot faster. And what he means by that, not necessarily tempo, although, yes, there is a part of that but they're not thinking as much that this type of offensive system allows them to just go out and play and make plays. And that is something that Brennan Armstrong did really, really well in his best season at Virginia under Robert and I know last season when Brennan Armstrong struggled with Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings there, you know, they really wanted him to play within the confines of their system, which is very much pro style NFL what the NI system allows him to do is freelance a little bit. And that makes him, I think, more comfortable in the skill set that he has and what he can provide for the team. And so based on what Trent said on the show, it sounds like they're seeing a little bit of that out there during spring practice. Although Dave Doran has been very clear that there's no winner just yet in this quarterback competition. We all know what MJ Morris and Ben Finley can bring to the table, but because Brennan has this experience with Robert and I, everyone thinks that he's the leader for that job. And the fact that the folks on the team are very excited about the potential of what this offense can look like under Robert and I, that just feels a little different about this offense and this team during spring practice. Yeah, that's interesting, Andrea, because I was going to ask about the quarterback position there with NC State. I asked it to Wes. We tried to figure it out. It's a tough question, but I was trying to figure out if they upgraded at the QB spot because the numbers from Brennan Armstrong two years ago were absolutely insane. 
And it's crazy the drop off he had just one year later. And I was a big fan of Devin Leary coming into the season. Of course, he got hurt. But even when he was playing, the numbers weren't as what I thought they were going to be. Do you feel like NC State will have an upgraded quarterback this year? Or do you think they actually lost something pretty significant with Devin Leary going to Kentucky? Well, you know, it's just a different offensive scheme that is going to allow NC State to put up more yards and points and numbers, in my view. Um, I feel like the scheme that NC State ran under Tim Beck was just uh, a little bit more conservative than the types of things that Robert and I likes to do. And Robert and I comes from uh, the Texas Tech, you know, Baylor tree, uh, where you are more wide open, um, where you do allow your players to freelance a little bit more. So I don't necessarily want to say upgrade uh, because you know Devin Leary did a great job during his time there. I think maybe the entire offensive scheme is a little bit more of an upgrade to what more teams in college football are doing right now um, that allows your players to use their talents and skill sets to be able to make some plays. I do fully expect NC State to be a more prolific offense this season, and the biggest reason why is because of the scheme that Robert and I runs, and because of that scheme, therefore, you project out that if it is Brennan Armstrong as the starting quarterback, he'll be putting up bigger numbers than Devin Leary. That's just a byproduct of that. Andrea Adelson on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can reach her on Twitter or Follow her on Twitter, A. Adelson, ESPN. Now, the other offense that everybody wants to know about, Garrett Riley and the Clemson Tigers. What have you been hearing about them? We see yesterday, Dabo comes out and says that they had their best practice as a team. We know Cade Klubnick seems to be, or on paper looks to be, a great fit for that offense. Can we see them get back uh, to the carnage that they used to put up on the scoreboard against people? Yeah, I have very high expectations for the Clemson offense headed into this season because of what Garrett Riley brings to the table. I actually visited with Dabo in his office a few weeks ago, and he noted that there was just an increased confidence level and energy uh, with the offense that maybe was missing the last couple of years. And if we talk about upgrading systems, at NC State, this is an absolute upgrade for Clemson. You know, a lot of the things that Garrett Riley likes to do, uh, Robert and I likes to do, um, and they've come from similar trees. Uh, so that obviously would make sense. Um, and they put place a lot on the quarterback, but that's exactly what Clemson wants and Dabo Sweeney wants because they believe Cade Klubnick has the ability to handle all that. And when I talk about just thinking a lot less and playing freer, that's what's happened so far for Kate Klubnick and his Clemson teammates. So I don't necessarily have a lot of questions. And bigger questions and or concerns for me still revolve around that receiver group, um, which hasn't necessarily quite lived up to its potential over the last few years, but they certainly have the capability to get there. Um, Dabo had a lot of praise for Antonio Williams in the spring that he has had. They are absolutely going to need a huge year for him this year to help out Kate Klubnick. But when you look at who they have coming back at running back with Will Shipley returning, the things we've seen Kate Klubnick do in, in brief flashes, Dabo feels good about the offensive line. If those receivers can just be more consistent, a lot fewer drop passes, a lot more broken tackles and yards after the catch, I think this Clemson offense is going to look more like the Clemson offense we've come to expect 
when Deshaun Watson and, and Trevor Lawrence were there. And then the Tar Heels. You talk about uh, Drake May and what he was able to do at the beginning of the season, but then the Georgia Tech game comes, and then things just kind of go downhill from there. What have you been hearing from the Tar Heels this spring, and what are they doing to try to get Drake May kind of back on track to being that dominant player that he was the first part of the year? Well, we're three for three talking about teams that made offensive coordinator changes, right? And so, you know, you can't really underestimate what that will do for a quarterback. And to me, of these three, this one's the most intriguing because Drake had so much success with Phil Longo, particularly early on. And a lot of people are expecting a really big year out of him. Now there's a coordinator change, though, and things are probably going to look a little bit different for this offense, and oh, by the way, they've lost their two best receivers, and Drake has to work through that in the spring. Actually visiting North Carolina next week, um, and we'll have an opportunity to sit down and talk to Mac Brown and Chip Lindsey and Drake May while I'm there, so I'll definitely be able to provide more information after we've done some of that reporting, but it appears as if things are going smoothly this spring, right? That's what everybody says, but I, I certainly expect for Drake to be more consistent game to game as opposed to what we saw at the end of the season because now he's got a full year under his belt, right? Now defenses are going to be keyed in on the types of things that he likes to do uh, and, and what may be our strengths and some things that they have an opportunity to do to slow him down a little bit, right? You know, halfway through the season is when teams can start really getting a feel for a new starter um, and that perhaps can lead to some of the more inconsistent plays that we had seen, but I mean, he played great in the bowl game. Um, you know, I, I thought he really played a great game there. Uh, so, you know, just getting more used to and comfortable in this new scheme with the new play caller and some of the new players around him. But I fully expect him to have a really good season. Um, and I think there are a lot of other people who expect that as well, because we haven't even gotten through the 2023 draft and already everyone's talking about him as a possible number one pick with Caleb Williams in 2024, that doesn't necessarily indicate to me that people looked at the last couple of games and have gotten a little bit down on him. No, I think that's probably only increased the expectation because now he's got a full year under his belt and he'll better be able to anticipate what some defenses are going to be doing against him. ESPN's Andrea Adelson joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline talking some college football. And Andrea, you missed the in-play episode the other day discussing who the top ACC QB is coming into the season. Adam Rittenberg, David <laughs> Hale, they debated between Jordan Travis and Drake May coming into this year. What say you? If you could go back a couple days ago, provide your input as you so often do on in-play, what would you say about Jordan Travis, Drake May, who was the better QB coming into this year? Yeah, I would have taken the uh, Adam Rittenberg position. So I guess he did a good job filling my shoes. He did. Uh, so he <laughs> said what I would have said. I would have said Drake May. You know, it's really hard to go against him right now considering what I think was an outstanding season a year ago, ACC Player of the Year. Now, that's nothing against Jordan Travis, who when you look at his growth and development as a quarterback from the beginning of his career, where he was known mainly as a wildcat guy, come in on third down situations, keep defenses off balance to where he is right now. There's no question in my mind. He has had the most growth. He has improved the most from the start of a career to where he is right now. And he's absolutely deserving of being in that conversation. But when I look at Drake may and what he is able to do as the quarterback throwing for 4,000 yards, and the arm strength and the ability to, 
to improvise. That's something Jordan can do as well. Um, it, it's hard for me to pick against him right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan was in the mix um, at the end of the season. But Florida State has made no bones about promoting him as a Heisman candidate. It's very unusual for schools in January to already start promoting players for the Heisman, but that's how strongly they feel about Jordan and what he's bringing to the table. And I, I understood David Hale's argument, which was there's no system change for him, and he's returning basically every single key player at the skill positions, whether it's his leading receiver and Johnny Wilson, his leading rusher and Trey Benson, and most of the offensive line. So I understand why David Hale made that argument, because if you look at it on paper, without a scheme change, with all your key players coming back, you would think that, okay, Jordan's going to be in line to have a great year. And I do think Jordan's in line to have a great year. But Drake, to me, is just a little bit ahead of him, slightly ahead of him. Uh, and despite the, the coordinator change, I still think he has a great chance to throw for 4,000 yards once again. Andrea, I wanted to ask you, too, uh, another quarterback question as well, because we know the defenses in the spring, they always dominate. So there's no mm -hmm. really defensive questions to be asked at this juncture. But Wake Forest, Sam Hartman, one of the big fixtures in the league for the last few years, he's gone now. Mitch Griffiths presumably will step in, been waiting for three years. What are the thoughts about him stepping in and what he's been looking like thus far? Yeah, well, he was another quarterback that was discussed on In Play the other day as uh, somebody that people maybe aren't talking a lot about right now, but could have the potential to have a great year, kind of like what Riley Leonard, Leonard did a year ago at, at Duke, um, emerging uh, without anyone really discussing him at all. And I think Mitch certainly has that opportunity because when you look at what Wake Forest has done with its quarterback since Warren Ruggiero and Dave Clawson have been there, their quarterbacks are generally very successful, right, whether it's just starting out or as veterans. And they have had quarterbacks who have been multi-year starters there. Sam Hartman, obviously, what Jamie Newman did, what John Walford did. So um, there's a track record of success with that scheme in particular, which is very unique to Wake Forest. And uh, I think that leads to quarterback success when you have guys in position who know how to run it. And I thought Mitch looked really comfortable running it last year when he started in place of Sam, when Sam was out with his blood clot. So Wake Forest, I think, is a team that not a lot of people are talking about right now with Sam gone and kind of the way they ended last season compared to the way they started. But if I know anything about Wake Forest and Dave Clawson and Warren Ruggiero, I just can't underestimate that team anymore uh, because most of the nation finds a way to underestimate them and they end up exceeding expectations. And so once again, I think Wake Forest will be really good on offense um, and have an opportunity to win a lot of games this year. Andrew, you also tweeted about your coverage and your journey with LSU's women's basketball team on their way to a national championship. An awesome tournament, by the way. I, I want to start with Alexis Morris's comments on the disrespect they felt on behalf of not only themselves, but even South Carolina coming into that championship game when it came to specifically Caitlin Clark. It felt very Michael Jordan. I took that personally ask that <laughs> that embodied itself big time in that championship outing. I guess I'll ask you this, Andrea. How, did you think it might get ugly as far as the trash talk goes as soon as we got to that championship game? Did you expect all of that or were you surprised all of that taking place? Well, you know, Caitlin Clark is a trash talker, mm -hmm. maybe one of the best trash talkers in women's college basketball. 
And so is Angel Reese, right? And, you know, I have to say that a lot of the commentary afterward, I thought, was a slap in the face to female athletes. I mean, they're highly competitive, right? And when you're in highly competitive environments, you're going to talk some trash, whether you're a man or a woman, right? I mean, are women not supposed to trash talk because they're women? You know, um, the fact that it happened on that stage uh, obviously put a spotlight on it. But Caitlin Clark has dished it out as much as she had to take it the other night. And um, afterward, she said, I didn't even notice and I wasn't really bothered by it because she knows what it's like to be in that environment. And she knows what it's like to trash talk people. She did it the, the game before um, or, or against Louisville, the Haley Van List. Um, it was the same thing. But, you know, the difference here is 9 million people weren't tuned in and watching Iowa against Louisville um, in the regional final. 9 million people were tuned into the national championship game and they saw Angel Reese kind of following Caitlin Clark around the court. Um, and I think that's what kind of stirred uh, this um, quote-unquote controversy. Mm-hmm. I do not think it's a controversy at all. Uh, I, in fact, I think it just shows how highly competitive these games are. And if you want to talk your trash and the opponent is like, yeah, I get it, it's part of the game, well, then let them talk their trash. Uh, and move on and just talk about what a great game it was and what a great um, thing it was for women's college basketball to have that many people tuned in and talking about uh, the championship game. Well, and Andrea, we're up against a break, but I did not want to get you out of here before I ask you about the actual on-court product, because you're right. So many times we don't actually talk about the on-court product that we saw, and it was awesome. And you, in that tweet that I just previously mentioned, you talked about just how, I mean, Borderline perfect LSU was in this championship game. Just how they played so well in that title contest, even after they were down, what, double digits? The previous game against Virginia Tech. Man, how special was this journey just as far as the product you saw from this Tigers team? No question. I was with them in Greenville, and they probably should have lost to Utah in the Sweet 16. Utah missed two free throws with a chance to take a lead in that game late, and LSU was able to hold on. And then they played one of the ugliest games I've ever seen against Miami. I don't think either team shot 30%. So to go from that, right, where you're just scratching your eyeballs out, is anyone going to be able to hit a basket to 102 points in the national championship game it felt like LSU was on a completely different planet compared to where they were in Greenville. And I think a lot of that is because they felt so much talk was going to Iowa and nobody was talking about LSU. They thought that was disrespectful. And yes, they took it personally. And they played as if they took all of that personally, that nobody was talking about LSU, that nobody picked them to get up there, that nobody did this and nobody did that. They played that way. They played as if they were not going to be denied. And it is hard for me to recall a championship game in which you have seen a team go out there and play that way because they felt so personally about what they had to prove in the game. That to me is something that goes to Kim Mulkey and to those players buying in and being a team and understanding what the ultimate goal was. Um, And uh, yeah, it was an incredible display to watch in person. No question. That was Andrea Adelson on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You can follow her on Twitter, A. A Adelson ESPN. Thanks so much, Andrea, once again. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.